Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 145 and it's 8th of November 2020. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Fine, thank you. I really enjoyed the new episode The Mandalorian. We got a new trailer for the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, which was very fun. And yeah, besides that, it wasn't particularly Star Warsy, but I think that's plenty of Star Wars for a week. It's nice to mix Star Wars and non-Star Wars content in our lives. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's been plenty of other things going on this week as well. So yeah, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> it's so funny. While I was saying all that, I completely suspended the reality of the world from my mind. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a great ability of mine. But yeah, like, sincerely, I am so, so happy for America right now. Obviously, like, we don't really talk politics on this show, but it's such a relief to see like, Biden win, basically. And, yeah. yeah, we don't explicitly talk about it, but I hope that people can kind of gather here and there what our beliefs and values are, and we're both very relieved about the news. So, yeah. No. In a better mood this week, shall we say. <laughs> Last week was pretty tense. Yeah, definitely. It fills me with hope for the future, basically. I feel like there's a lot of possibility now. Yeah, hopefully the future is brighter and it can only get up from 2020 because 2020 has not been a great year, I think, for anyone really. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. This isn't, this isn't the end. Okay, so let's segue into the Star Wars news that there is to talk about this week. Um, and the first is that we have a trailer for the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. Um, and I have a long description here, but I don't think we need that because it's not going to be a plot-heavy experience. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what did you feel about this trailer for the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, Kirsty? What's your flash thoughts? Uh, well, it's very cute and funny. So, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It looks like a lot of fun. It's very goofy, obviously, in that classic lego irreverent star wars way but i was a little bit confused because if you remember a few weeks back we had some initial like press about it i think maybe there was an entertainment weekly article and uh whoever it was at lucasfilm who was talking about it uh was kind of spotlighting rose as if she was going to have a really key role which doesn't come through in the trailer yes (laughs) so i guess i shouldn't be too surprised honestly but yeah (laughs) it's almost worse for them to do that to be honest to act like rose as a really significant part in the special and then from what we've seen in the promo to have her be completely sidelined as was the case with the rise of skywalker because it's like really if she's not going to factor much into the story could you please just not pretend like she will be exactly just don't go there because you're giving us false hope and it's obviously out of this weird guilt but it's like these are your choices and if if ray is the main character and the premise is that she goes back through time and meets all of these other star wars characters and that doesn't include rose obviously then just you know say that like the framing device here is clearly the finn poe and rose and chewy are all like getting ready for life day and making dinner and everything and Ray's a bit distracted and goes off on this adventure and I guess at the end she comes back and is back in time for dinner <laughs> with her friends. But So then we we don't expect to see Rose too much there. She'll be there, but like she's not a protagonist. And if that if that's the choice that you're making, then it is what it is. But don't like push her as a main character because you're trying to appease people who were disappointed by the treatment of her in The Rise of Skywalker. That's going to backfire. Because we notice the stuff, we get excited, and then it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm obviously going to withhold final judgment until the special actually comes out and we can watch it and see how much Rose is actually in the thing. Oh, she might still end up with more lines than she did in the movie. Yeah, exactly. And like, obviously she had a very important, significant part in The Last Jedi. And if I remember correctly, she wasn't actually featured in any of the theatrical trailers for that film, which seems astonishing in retrospect. <laughs> That I can understand a bit more because she was a brand new character. Yeah, so basically there's a chance that she will be more prominent than the trailer would suggest. But I'm going to go in with zero hopes or expectations in relation to Rose, regardless of what's been said. Because, yeah, I just don't want to be disappointed again. Same. But it looks a lot of fun for what it is, you know? Yeah. 
I always love Lego Star Wars. Exactly. It looks incredibly stupid and silly, but that's exactly <laughs> what you expect from Lego Star Wars. I don't expect like a serious dramatic continuation of the emotional arcs of the sequel trilogy characters. What did you think about that Rook moment? Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to turn listeners away. <laughs> this is just a joke, just to be clear. Kirstine, the old-fashioned Rook <laughs> obsession. I'm just saying they have Ray drop onto young Luke's lap as he's flying. So, oh, Master Skywalker! Oh. <laughs> Excuse me! It's a bit like, carry on. Yeah, no, it absolutely Cheeky. made me think that. <laughs> um, and yeah, like, just watching this, I was like, I never want to hear Ray say the words Master Skywalker again. Oh my and god. And I'm just going to do a little tangent that is not necessarily about this trailer, but just about the trajectory of the sequel trilogy and the evolution of Ray's character. But the thing that I loved the most about Rey in The Last Jedi was that that whole story was one of rebellion and going against yeah. authority. And uh-huh. then one of the things that I disliked the most about The Rise of Skywalker was the messaging that, oh, actually, you know, you should rely on authority and you should like always look to the example of the past and rely on like older mental figures. like Because for me, that completely undermines what the whole point of The Last Jedi was. And... Yeah, like, I do not expect the Lego Star Wars special to, like, have a pivotal role in, like, Rey's arc, you know? Like, it's meaningless in the greatest scheme of things. But I I just want to see Rey be a rebel again, basically, you know? I don't want to see this, like, acquiescence all the time and this, like, deference that she is, like, big on in this trailer. Hmm. It's interesting because at the beginning of The Last Jedi, as you say, she she is like saying Master Skywalker, but it's almost like as a point that she's like put him on a pedestal before meeting him. And then those those perceptions are challenged. Right. And she's kind of disappointed by his choices. Um, And I guess the implication when we get to the rise of Skywalker is that she realizes this amazing sacrifice that he did choose to make in the end, even though he declined to go with her in The Last Jedi. He made that choice for himself and ascended into the force and then they've had this year gap where presumably they've kind of talked things out and she's kind of come to this middle ground where she's not angry at him anymore and she understands and accepts things yeah um because she kind of does that with leia at the end of the last jedi right but because we don't see that progress it feels a bit empty and like oh the writers just did that conveniently so they could go back to having luca's perfect jedi master (laughs) that she bows down to yeah no, um, I, I think that's a very fair reading of it. And I think that's probably what they want people to take away in terms of the reality of Ray's arc in relation to Luke. Um, but yeah, like you say, because none of it is shown or even talked about really, then yeah, like it just feels a bit like there's a lot of connective tissue missing. Yeah, like hopefully we will get that connective tissue one day, ideally in the format of a animated TV show. Um, but yeah, that day is not here yet. So we will see. Mm. And yeah, what did you think about um, Kylo like going shirtless with Palpatine and appearing to do some sort of like modeling shoot in front of Palpatine? Like, I was somewhat unsettled by that. <laughs> I'm not surprised that they're going for a shirtless joke because that's become a real meme. Yes, hasn't it? No, definitely. Like even outside of the Star Wars fandom, uh, I guess we have to see it in context to know for sure what that's about. But <laughs> Lego is just kind of dumb. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I I think if anyone is treating this like it's a form of canon, just just stop yourself, okay? Don't go down that path. <laughs> that way lies insanity. So yeah, exactly. I, I, Let's just have fun with it. I know that a lot of us want Ray to rescue Ben from the War Between Worlds, but I don't want that as part of a Lego holiday special. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, so ludicrous. We're in a strange place right now as a fandom. Oh yeah, and what did you think about the voice acting? Because obviously very few of the voice actors are actually the actors from the live action movies. Like I thought the Ray voice actor was actually really good. I think it's pretty easy to do a Ray impression, right? Yeah, no, it's true. It's not a big ask. The Kylo, not so much. But yeah, I think Adam Driver's hard to imitate. Yeah, he doesn't really sound like him. He just sounds like a generic like guy. Yeah, I, I know that Ray is obviously going to be one of the most prominent characters in the special, but... um. I think they probably also spotlighted her because she's a very good sound alike for Daisy Ridley. So it mm-hmm. allows you to keep the immersion to like believe that you're watching the real thing. Yeah. A little shout out to Baby Yoda as well. It is a nice mashup. I like seeing these sequel trilogy characters interact with him. Mm. Then, just as a something for follow-up, I guess, to a conversation 
we had last week um, where we touched upon what might have happened after John Baker's GQ interview. We have the answer to what happened after John Baker's GQ interview um, because John Baker gave an interview to The Hollywood Reporter where he spoke about Disney contacting him um, off the back of that interview. Um, could you read out the excerpt from the interview, please, Kirsty? Mm-hmm. After Boyega's interview decrying his experience on Star Wars was published, the actor says he was contacted by a Disney executive. It was a very honest, a very transparent conversation, Boyega says. There was a lot of explaining on their end in terms of the way they saw things. They gave me a chance also to explain what my experience was like. I'd hope that me being so open with my career at this stage would help the next man, the guy who wants to be the assistant director of photography, the guy that wants to be a producer. I hope that the conversation is not such a taboo or elephant in the room now because someone just came and said it. Yeah, I, I was really glad to see this. And not just because I predicted this is what had happened. Yeah, like I really did want to believe that Disney slash Lucasfilm would pay attention to what John was saying. So it is serious and it is important. And things do really need to change. Obviously, John in this excerpt, he doesn't talk about promises being made to change anything. But it wouldn't surprise me if that were an aspect of the conversation that he didn't necessarily want to go into in this context. But yeah, like I'm glad that the conversation was had. How how do you feel about it, Kirsty? Yeah, no, I'm definitely glad to hear that someone reached out to him because, I mean, that would be considered basic politeness really at that point. Yeah. Right. As for whether things change for the better going forward in terms of how they have the backs of their actors of colour and other people behind the scenes. I would love to think so, but that is going to require real work. I think we mentioned it last week that there is a listing for a Lucasfilm job position. I can't remember the exact name of the role, but it's something like an inclusion diversity role. Yes. So hopefully that would include dealing with things at Lucasfilm itself and kind of liaising with, with Disney about their choices for marketing and PR, but maybe also focusing on fandom relations too, because that can be a real issue. I would just love to see more acknowledgement of these dynamics that go on um, and kind of how that plays out in the fan base. Yeah, so fingers crossed. Always going to hope that things like that improve. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I feel like in terms of fan outreach, I a lot of the time Disney slash Lucasfilm, they have a very old-fashioned approach in relation to Star Wars. It usually seems to be a very like, top-down attitude, you know, where it's very much like distant and addressing the fans from on high and not really engaging with fans concerns or what's going on with fans and obviously there's a lot of stuff that goes on in fandom that Disney Lucasfilm should absolutely ignore but this is not just like fandom like bullshit you know this is serious this is about real experiences that one of their actors had not just one that's the thing after the treatment of Kelly Marie Tran I would have hoped that they would have addressed this stuff you know yeah. So it's taken multiple instances. Um, as we speak, Pedro Pascal is being harassed by alt-right people within fandom for expressing his relief at the results of the election. Yeah, no, you're right. It's like a pattern in the fandom in terms of how actors have been treated. And the Disney Lucasfilm policy has pretty much been to stay completely silent. And obviously in terms of public facing communications, they are still completely silent in relation to John's concerns. Like it's good that they've reached out privately to John and had that conversation with him. That's important. But I think like you were saying in our last episode, Kirsty, it's also important to engage with the fan base about this because like, what does it say about like representation in general in this universe and like attitudes towards fans of color and stuff when these sorts of concerns about racism and the like, almost intolerable behavior from certain subsets of the fan base when that sort of bullshit is just completely ignored <laughs> so yeah more needs to be done no i agree i think you know as awkward as this stuff might be for them to kind of take a stand um it, it shouldn't be really because essentially what you're saying really is that you stand behind and support the people that you hire and any company should do that really yeah um and if your employees are experiencing harassment you should be able to address that you should yeah so yeah that's entirely fair and i think it's entirely fair of john and any other person who feels that lucasfilm should have had their back uh, express that yeah so i think very much what we see from 
like say like the Twitter presence for Star Wars for example what I was really talking about when I was saying about it being like a top-down approach to marketing and not really getting involved with like anything else it's kind of like this tendency to like deny anything that might be perceived as like bad press or might like be like an indication of disharmony in some area of Star Wars whether that's in the making of the films or the fan base for the films or mm-hmm. whatever you know it's just like plugging the ears with the fingers and going la 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 nothing's happening and then just like putting out a trailer or putting out like a new article about something you know it's very cold and cut off from the fans so it would mm-hmm. be nice to see a bit more like open dialogue I guess and I know that's exceptionally difficult because it's obviously such a massive fan base but I think there are ways of doing it and yeah like you say hopefully this new person they're hiring like maybe part of their role would be informing like marketing strategy and engagement and how you actually approach it when these sort of issues occur with the fandom yeah I think Maybe their concern would be that, as you say, because the fandom is so huge, that almost by like addressing these things, they'll be drawing more attention to them and maybe making them into a bigger deal than they should be. But these things are a big deal when when actors feel ambushed, when fans feel harassed by other people who call themselves fans but are really behaving in these terrible ways. Um, something needs to be done, you know? So it's probably a... A fine line to tread there but it's you can't just do nothing exactly yeah like saying nothing is almost as bad as saying something like supporting the people who are doing and saying these horrible things to be honest yeah because it kind of is because if you say nothing you're just kind of letting it carry on yeah right? and you're emboldening those people it's enabling so. essentially yeah okay cool so let's move into our discussion of the next episode the mandalorian which is chapter 10 the passenger so before we say anything else we just briefly want to mention that last time we spoke about the mandalorian we forgot to mention the incredible work of the composer who's ludwig Göransson. Emmy award-winning. Emmy award-winning composer Ludwig Göransson, um, because he is just extraordinary. Honestly, his music is probably my favourite aspect of The Mandalorian, and there's a lot of Same. stuff in the show that I really like, but his music is just exceptional. And Kirsty and I were both kicking ourselves last week after we realised we forgot I to bring it up. I couldn't believe it! <laughs> <laughs> we both had it in our notes, we just somehow glossed over it. Especially after winning that Emmy. Yeah. Oh. There was clearly just too much to say, Kirsty. We were overwhelmed. Well, yeah, you can't get to everything. But for both of us, that is a major part of our enjoyment of the show. So we really should have said something. Yeah. Sorry, Ludwig. <laughs> if you're listening. Sorry, Ludwig. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought his work on this episode was exceptional. So. No, definitely. Like, there were really beautiful like moments especially like particularly in relation to baby yoda and what he was doing in the episode i really loved um so yeah we'll Mm -hmm. come to those when we talk about the episode in a bit more detail um so yeah what were your general feelings about this episode kirsty how did it stack up in relation to chapter nine i loved it oh awesome i love hearing that between (laughs) i'm torn between saying ignore everything i said last week about the mandalorian but also it kind of lined up with what we said that we wanted Yes, it's like they heard us magically. Yeah, kept going on about, oh, you know, I I really wish there was more puppet work. I wish there was more of like the creepy, magical, fantastical element that we love in Star Wars. And and that's what we got. So I'm happy. Yeah. And I feel like last week's episode, it was a very, very obvious riff on the traditional Western formula. You know, like it was taken out of any number of Western stories. And I think it's safe to say that that's a genre that neither of us are like huge fans of. Not to say we think it's bad or anything, and there are Western films I really enjoy, but I don't love that particular influence on Star Wars. You know, and I, is that true for you as well, Kirsty? I just want to check. I'm not speaking for you. I like it as an element of Star Wars, but in terms of like really running with that as the, as you say, obvious core influence on one episode that's the main thing that that episode was clearly like it was a western and that's just never going to be like my favorite episode which is fine because it looks like it's kind of like well what are we going to get next week because 
is every episode gonna have like a different vibe like I, I guess it kind of maybe it's running on from last season and that because you have all of these different directors involved everyone puts their own spin on it and kind of emphasizes the parts of star wars that they love and as a result every fan might feel like there's something for them in somewhere like it's it's kind of a crowd pleaser in that respect yeah i really love the element of it because i feel like this week if there was a western influence it was so small that it was barely apparent basically you know this to me felt like pure fantasy and for me star wars is at its best when it's like a fantasy story you know like fantasy adventure that's like the heart of star wars as far as i'm concerned and this one with all the, the weird creatures and the eccentricities of the characters and everything i just loved it it was kind of what i wanted without knowing i wanted it in advance you know like i wouldn't have described this episode to you if you'd asked me what do you want from the mandalorian next time but i watched it and i was like oh yeah this is great this is what i want this show to be and again not necessarily every week because i think a strength for the show is that it mixes things up a lot and it does have lots of different types of stories but yeah i think you're always going to prefer some episodes over others and this is absolutely the type of episode that i enjoy the most yeah i think another aspect of it that i really appreciated and it wasn't like consciously until afterwards when I started to think about it I was like wait a minute there aren't that many like or unless they're just kind of going over my head um there aren't that many easter eggs in this one or at least they're not in the way that you feel like the episode is kind of based around them yeah where it's like oh did you see that did you get that reference it kind of works as a story on its own and it's a small story and I've seen some people kind of oh it's a bit of a flimsy plot like it's there's not much to hang on there but um it works for me and it just kind of felt like its own thing it wasn't kind of you know in in deference to the original trilogy or even the prequels as we saw a bit more of last week yeah no absolutely um and i think it was also really great for the character building stuff so i think we got really great moments with the mandalorian himself and with baby yoda which is really great so i feel like especially with the mandalorian the character progression we were seeing with him in season one which i obviously complained which i had the slight concern about last time we spoke um in relation to the fact that he didn't seem to have like taken many lessons from his experiences in the previous installments that we've seen um and that worried me a bit because i always want to see forward momentum with the characters and character evolution um, he felt a bit static last time, but this time I could see a much broader spectrum to that character. And I really liked mm. how caring he was and how considerate he was towards the titular passenger, who's an amazing character, and I look forward to talking <laughs> about her. Um, but yeah, like it was just really great. It felt very satisfying and it felt like a natural like progression of where he was in season one. So really delighted by that um, forward momentum. Yeah, I really liked how it it obviously carried on from chapter nine and that he was still on Tatooine when we started the episode. And, you know, ha you had almost that little roadrunner and wily coyote thing where they are trying to steal <laughs> baby Yoda from him and like <laughs> trip him up and stuff. It felt very cartoony. Yeah. Um, and then he goes back to the cantina with Pelly. So you kind of get that as a bookend. And then he's off on to the next thing. And as we were saying last week, what's he going to do now? Because he doesn't have another lead to find more Mandalorians, but he gets another one almost instantly. So it's very convenient. <laughs> it's almost like it was a story that was written. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was good to see him kind of like still having that as his goal. So, you know, even if you felt like they didn't get too far in the episode in terms of like they didn't get to find the the next round of mandalorians or whatever um you knew what he wanted even if he didn't get there so yeah that there was like a a goal in mind no absolutely because yeah like i think one of my main fears about this season on the basis of last week's episode was oh no we're not going to spend the whole season waiting for him to find the mandalorians are we and that might still be the case so obviously don't want to have to eat my words by the time we get to um the eighth episode of this season <laughs> um but yeah like you say i feel like there was definite 
like continuation from the last episode it's not like we forgot that that's his goal at the current moment you know he is still searching for the mandalorians and he's not been too distracted by some other like mission you know obviously this is kind of like a side thing with him taking this woman to this particular planet but it is with the ultimate purpose of meeting his greater purpose which is to find other mandalorians so yeah i felt like it was quite effective on a narrative level Mm. there's one thing that stood out to me in terms of what you were talking about um his kind of consistency and growth as a character because in chapter nine it almost seemed like they were making a point of the fact that mando was kind of cool with droids now mm. like when he arrives back on tatooine and Pelly's like oh stay away she's talking to the pit droids you know he doesn't like droids and he's like oh no actually they can they can look at the razor crest it needs some work and everyone was like, oh, it's because IG-11 made that sacrifice. Um, and he loves droids now, or at least he's cool with them. Um, but in this one, he almost seemed to be back to being suspicious of them. Because when Frog Lady kind of takes over the, I don't know what you call that droid, the one that's voiced by Richard Awadi, mm. um, he's like, that's a killer droid. <laughs> it's like, wait, is he okay with droids now or not? I can't keep up. <laughs> I know what you mean. Obviously, the in-universe in explanation for that is that that particular droid was like an assassin droid. So was IG. Yes, that's true. Like, IG was explicitly like reprogrammed, though, wasn't he? So that he was no longer an assassin droid. Mm. I just hope that would be kind of a, a thing going forward, that he would be more soft with droids now but we, we might still see that it, it just stood out to me because it almost seems like they're kind of making a point of how mando feels about droids each episode yeah hopefully we'll get an episode of the droid gotra and they might like subject him to like serious reconditioning of his own so <laughs> he ends up loving all droids like unequivocally so mm-hmm. he's like droid rights he joins the movement <laughs> i would quite like to see that that would be a proper turnaround for him so yeah the ultimate <laughs> character journey but yeah, just in general, coming back to this episode, I, I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. I thought the music was amazing. I loved the puppet work. And I just loved how chatty Mando was because I feel like you really need that if he's going to keep the helmet on. To get to know the character, it needs to be more than just body language. Yeah. And the fact that he had much more kind of direct communication with Baby Yoda and you saw him in this nurturing way and he was trying to communicate with Frog Lady and is developing much more of an easier rapport with Pelly over time. That was all great to see. Because, yeah, like, he did have nice humanising moments last week. Like, I liked the way that he was showing tolerance towards the sand people and was encouraging the villagers, or I guess townsfolk, (laughs) to show tolerance towards the sand people as well. That was, like, really nice development for him from season one again. Um, But, yeah, Mm -hmm. like, it wasn't one of the main areas of focus for that episode. Whereas I felt like here, because it was so, so simple as a story and there were so few characters, it did have that real space to, like, really develop him and really write that dialogue that did reflect how much he's evolved as a human being. And, yeah, warmed my heart. He's lovely. Mm Mm-hmm. The tricky thing when talking about performances and The Mandalorian is it's obviously Pedro Pascal's voice. And just as a voice acting role, it's great. You know, like it's really well judged. Every line delivery is perfect. But I'm not sure if it's Pedro beneath the armour in this particular episode. I know, and I don't want to give him credit for someone else's work. Exactly. Yeah, so that's what I feel (laughs) a little bit iffy about as well. Because like all the physical stuff is great. You know, so whoever is inside the armor performing that character physically as they're shooting, they're also doing a great job. And if that's Pedro, awesome, great all rounder. But if it's not Pedro, congratulations, forgotten soldier of the Mandalorian show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you think about seeing Dave Filoni and other New Republic pilot dude again? <laughs> That was maybe the only part of the episode that maybe like rubbed me a little bit the wrong way because the thing is like this is clearly all their like childish make believe come to life you know and I love that for them I'm so so thrilled that they get to like make all their like 7-year-old Star Wars fantasies real 
and I think that's really cool and great. I really loved the first appearance with those X-Wing pilots because I loved how it was basically as if the New Republic pilots are just like annoying traffic cops who are just like very aligned to this bureaucratic code and they're just a nuisance essentially. I liked that because it was like a nice humorous encounter kind of. I think it just went a bit too far the other way for me at the end when they come out of nowhere and they're basically the cavalry that saves the Mandalorian and Frog Lady from the giant spider. Like, I love that sentence, by the way. It's just so (laughs) ridiculous. But yeah, I kind of just wish that Mando and Frog Lady had escaped from that situation by themselves because I feel like the story would have easily accommodated that and it would have just felt a bit less gratuitous, I suppose. How did you feel about them? I'm not too sure, to be honest, because I know that there are so many fans who love seeing Dave Filoni, so that's great for them. (laughs) That kind of makes me happy for them. And I do kind of like how it connects it with Chapter 6 and what he decided to do there in terms of leaving people in the prison who had decided to betray him. And then them them kind of commenting on the fact that, oh yeah, you did these bad things, but you also did this good thing, so I guess we're going to let you go, even though we shouldn't really... Um, which in itself, I guess, shows some of the questionable ethics of the New Republic. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's just like, ultimately it comes down to it being kind of nice to see more human faces because other than that, obviously it's only Pelly at the beginning of the episode, right? Yeah. Um, and he's just interacting with Frog Lady and Baby Yoda throughout, which I don't really have a problem with because I, I thought all of that stuff was great and I loved Frog Lady. Can't wait to get more into that as we go through the chronology of the episode. Um, but it, again, it kind of just bookends it and puts more human faces in there. So maybe some fans need that to kind of ground it a bit more. Yeah. No, like you say, human faces, it's always good. So I was definitely glad to see them in that regard. Yeah. And all these appearances of minor characters from last season have me hoping that we see Amira and Fennec again. Yes. But That'd be we'll so see. nice. Hopefully. Yeah. Make Fennec Boba Fett's sidekick 2020 hashtag. Or he's her sidekick. Ooh. Yes, I like that. That's a galaxy brain. I mean, we know she has this really intimidating reputation, right? Yes. Boba Fett's old news. He's washed up. Yeah, yeah. No, he needs new training, like from an absolute boss. I'd love that. Great. So I think we should start going through the episode chronologically. As much as we are capable of, we always jump around, but that's fine. Oh, sorry. Just before we do that, I just did want to point out that it's Peyton Reed who directed this and... I know last week we mentioned that it, it, he um, did the Ant-Man movies for the MCU. Yes. But but my favourite Peyton Reed movie is Bring It On. Okay, what's that about? What? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, is this some really God. famous film I haven't seen? Oh my God, Rachel. <laughs> it was a sleepover staple of the early 2000s. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that movie. Okay, what's it about? You've got to tell me now. Cheerleaders. Cheerleaders. Oh, yes. okay. Oh, it's it's amazing. You need to watch it. Okay. Everyone needs to watch Bring It On. So, And he also did Down With Love with Ewan McGregor. Which I also have not seen, but I know the poster. Yeah, I know you're not a huge rom-com person, but that movie is so stylish. Like, I would just watch it for the outfits alone. Yeah, isn't it set in the 60s or the 70s? Or yeah, and it's so snappy and stylized and fun. And I just think even though obviously this isn't the same kind of story, Peyton Reed's direction is just so fun and sharp and he has this amazing comedic timing. Yeah, I thought this episode was so well directed. Yeah, no, he did a really good job. Um, I especially loved that opening sequence um, with the ambush. Like the action was really well portrayed and obviously Mm -hmm. the best thing about that um, ambush sequence was the um, jetpack. Um, because the idea is that one of the people ambushing Mando like demands his jetpack essentially in order to give back Baby Yoda who he has taken hostage and so gives back Baby Yoda runs off with the jetpack Mando activates jetpack and then it's sort of framed so you see Mando and Baby Yoda in the foreground and they're kind of watching as the jetpack zooms up and obviously this poor person is like flung off it's just very cartoony but in a really really great way it was really fun because as with a lot of things in The Mandalorian, you kind of know that he's not going to let people get away with the things that they're doing, but you just kind of want to see how it's going to play out. Yeah. So he, he was not going to just give away that jetpack, obviously. But 
it was fun to just see what was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's so brutal. And I do now wonder if we're going to get something like that with every episode that's coming up. Because if you think about chapter nine, we had a kind of similar thing where it opened. And it's almost like this standalone sequence where we see like an encounter between the Mandalorian and some enemies. And then Mandalorian outsmarts them in some clever way. And there's like mm. brutal punishment for the people who were attempting to attack him. And yeah, like now we've had that two episodes in a row. I'm curious to see if it will be kept up for the rest of the season. I guess they still need to kind of keep that thread going of, oh yeah, people still after Baby Yoda. Yes. Because it could have been kind of dropped for a little while. Yeah, it's like these are what the stakes are. Everyone wants a piece of Baby Yoda. Did you recognise that alien who got the jetpack? I saw a post about it on Twitter. I must say I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have remembered that alien if it weren't for that post on Twitter. But it's the alien that is sort of like bothering Ray at the start of Force Awakens, right? Yeah, when she's like scrubbing away on those parts before she sells them to one couple. Her scavenger's hoard, if you will. <laughs> the name of our podcast guys you just can't beat it it's just so appropriate so also Kirsty, after the ambush mando who doesn't have a speeder bike anymore so he just has to walk like a pack mule or something with like loads of luggage and baby yoda and it looks like searing heat and i'm just thinking like gosh take some of that armor off man it looks so uncomfortable (laughs) Take it off. <laughs> shirtless Mando. Shirtless Mando. <laughs> the music there is really great as well. It really emphasizes the the physical difficulty that he's undergoing there. Yeah. Like I, I do hope he has like a system of tiny fans or something. <laughs> you know, like there's got to be something, otherwise he'd just faint. Maybe Beskar Steel has like this magical property to it where it like reflects the heat, so it's actually cooling. I bet you anything in the visual dictionary for the Mandalorian, which I'm not sure if it's a thing yet, but if it doesn't exist, it will. There will be like a little arrow pointing to the armor and saying that exact thing. Yeah, it's like a thermos. It keeps him cold in the heat and and warm when he gets to the ice planet. I like because that. he because he says to Frog Lady, "I'll get you some blankets. I need to keep you warm," but he's fine. Yeah. Just getting a bit frozen on the outside, but it seems fine. That's supremely logical, Kirsty. I think you were dead on the money. No worries. Um, so yeah, Mando gets back to the city. Is it Mos Eisley he gets to? Yes. Okay, yeah. So he gets to Mos Eisley, the classic cantina. Um, and he encounters Pelly again, who is um, playing Sabak, I believe, with Dr. Mandible. And Dr. Mandible is a giant ant. Was he in the original cantina scene? That's a good question. Let's find it out. It looks familiar. <laughs> I love that. The giant like, you know, they had all familiar. of these goofy aliens that George Lucas like, famously was not super happy with. They were just what they could afford and find to kind of populate the background of that scene. And now they're like legit alien species. Okay, I just checked. According to Wikipedia, Dr. Mandible has only appeared in The Mandalorian. Okay. I know what you mean because there are like big insectoid aliens i think in the background of the cantina so i'm sure Mm. it's like a homage to that sort of character um but yeah it's not the same okay but yeah like i love the fact that this ant is a bloody doctor like what on earth could an (laughs) ant be a doctor in (laughs) it's got so many questions anything (laughs) don't crush his dreams It just makes me think about Claude in The Rise of Skywalker. You know, Claude is literally like a slug and he barely has like, any functional arms, yet Claude seems to be an electrician. <laughs> I'm like, how is this working? <laughs> just don't question it. Yeah, and then the development in the plot is that Pelly basically has met this frog lady who wants to travel to a particular planet um, to be reunited with her husband because she has these eggs that have to be fertilised before a certain date. Um, and essentially, if the Mandalorian will take Frog Lady to this planet, then there are Mandalorians on that planet. I think that's right, anyway. Um, and obviously, that's yeah. What she says wants. that her husband has seen them there. Yes, no, that's right. So it's mutually beneficial, essentially, for both the Mandalorian and the Frog Lady to get to that planet. And 
So that's what they do. They go together and they become a really great like double act, I would say. I really <laughs> love this character. Like what did you think about Frog Lady, Kirsty? Oh, I loved her. Wonderful design. Um, wonderful frog language that Pelly also speaks somehow. <laughs> yeah. And I love how she like brings that droid back to life to be able to talk through him to to communicate to Mando how important it is that she get her eggs to her husband on time. Yes. And and that's the focus of her mission. And what an amazing shot she is that she like saves baby Yoda at the end. Yeah. In a in a way that clearly surprises the Mandalorian. He doesn't think that she be capable of something like that yeah no i really loved her like even from the very beginning you see her and it's obviously a, a literal frog lady and there's just real charm about the appearance of the character you know and again it's that like whimsical fantastical element of the episode that i love so much and yeah she absolutely exemplified that and would have really just been great as a character design to be honest but the best part of the character was how she was developed across the episode because she does literally just start off as a passenger you know she's almost silent because they don't have a common language and she's just sitting there as the mandalorian is driving along and making sure they get to their destination and then it's only when things start to go wrong that she has to start demonstrating more agency in the situation and i really appreciated that i was like i'm seeing this frog lady be empowered before my very eyes and that makes me feel empowered too so yeah it was a good Mm -hmm. feeling yeah, she's like the closest thing that we've had to the fish nuns in The Last Jedi. Um, and I really miss those. Yeah. So it was great to see her. I loved the weirdness of everything surrounding this character and how she like moses off into the into the ice cave to have her bath and keep <laughs> the, the eggs warm. Yes. And they just have to go and find her. And the design of that set's amazing. And she's just in there kind of chilling with her eggs. And he's like, we've got to go. I know, I know that you're doing this to keep them safe, but we, we need to to leave um and it it just i don't know it just had this wonderful magical quality to it and there's this amazing part where they start running away from the spiders and she transitions to like leaping as an actual frog yes yeah so she starts out like just kind of being this not humanoid but you know she's walking on two legs and kind of moseying along and carrying her eggs on her back um and then it's like no actually she can just transitions to this almost by instinct because she's in danger and she's her own distinct character and species like she's different from mando but they work together yeah no it was really awesome and yeah like you say that moment where she just like sneaks off so that she can go in like the hot spring basically i was like this character is so great because she like has her own whims and desires and she's going to pursue those you know and i really appreciate that about her because at the end of the day what else was she going to do in that situation just sit there chilling while the mando did repairs like i do not blame (laughs) her for seeking out some pleasure in that situation and yeah like it, it was really lovely and Although I must say that I think Styles has scarred me because in the scene where the frog lady and Mando are running away from the spiders, I was genuinely thinking that she was about to die. Like, oh no. I, I think I'm so used to Styles killing off mother characters that oh, I was just thinking, this is it. She's going to trip. The spiders are going to swarm her. She's going to be eaten. She's gone. Like, I've got to accept that. I've got to make my peace of that. And so I was thrilled when she started jumping. <laughs> I was like, yes! Thank you, God! Uh, yeah, it was just a big relief. And I'm really glad she made it out of the episode alive. And it's also lovely because I expect we're going to see her at the start of the next episode. Because by its episodic nature, we're likely to see like a little wrap-up of this episode at the, at the beginning of the next one. So I think that'll be really nice. Hopefully we'll see her reunited for her husband. Mm. I totally understand where you're coming from with your expectations for how Star Wars treats its mother characters there. And to be fair, while she was treated ultimately well like in terms of having plenty of agency and plenty to do, um, I've seen some discussion around, and I do think it's interesting how they used the whole egg thing with Baby Yoda. Yes. This is where I wanted uh, and, to go next as well, so I'm glad okay, you're going good. here. Okay, <laughs> good. Complicated, because I've 
I loved Baby Yoda in this whole episode. Like, given so much more to do than in Chapter 9, which is one of our criticisms, he kind of just was there to look cute there. And with Baby Yoda, sometimes he's got this, like, static quality. He kind of looks like they're just kind of passing a doll around. Yes. Because um, he's a baby, but was moving around by himself here, and there was such expressive puppet work. Um, so that was something that we'd been looking for. And the whole eating of the eggs thing is kind of um, in two minds about it. Yeah. It was weird because, like, it was obviously kind of framed as a funny thing, but also they make a very big deal of the fact that the reason this frog lady is making this dangerous journey is because the eggs represent the last of her kind. And if she doesn't get them to her husband, her whole line will die out essentially so it's very high stakes these are not just any eggs they're very important eggs and then that obviously conflicted with how it was framed like a cutesy funny moment every time baby yoda sort of gobbled one down and it was both like adorable and disturbing so i feel kind of conflicted about it i'm not sure what i meant to take away Mm. speaking as someone who's currently trying to teach a toddler not to bite people or pull hair I relate to his frustration yes. because he's saying, no, no, those aren't food. It's nap time. <laughs> and I, I feel that. Um, so he was doing his best, but I just it's also like, don't you have snacks on hand? Can't you provide an alternative? Yeah, well, you see, actually, that was one of my favorite aspects of this episode. So there's a particular moment where I, I think it's after the Razor Crest crashes and Mando's hunting for the eggs and Baby Yoda because they're both missing. And he pulls back a cloth and he finds the eggs. And of course, Baby Yoda has another egg in his hands and he like gobbles it down just before Mando can stop him. And then it cuts to um, Mando, Baby Yoda and Frog Lady like all gathered around. And Baby Yoda has like a little lunchbox with little bits of food in it. Well, come on then. Yeah. No, so I think that that was clearly Mando learning a lesson. It's like, oh shit, I need to feed this child. The child's hungry, okay. But then right at the end, he has another one. (laughs) Well, I guess little kids, they're just kind of insatiable, aren't they? So you can feed them, but they still want more. It's a bit iffy. It's making me see Baby Yoda in a new light. (laughs) Because Frog Lady is like positioned as kind of on a level of human. Humanoid. You know, she's a legit character, intelligent species. And she's explained that, you know, she is there for this specific reason. And these eggs are precious. And then he's just kind of gobbling them down. I don't know how to feel about that. I'm kind of annoyed at Baby Yoda. He needs to go on the naughty step. Yeah. No, I did kind of feel myself shouting at the screen. Like, so I felt (laughs) like for the first one, you can kind of forgive it. You know, it's like it's a child. It's a baby. It doesn't understand. But then as it went on, it's like, come on, you have been shouted at a lot and told explicitly that you're not meant to do this. It was relatable parent content, I'll just say that. No, exactly. And I've got to say it, but Mandalorian has a real fascination with eggs and egg symbolism. I don't know what Mm -hmm. the eggs are meant to be symbolizing right now, but they're going for something and hopefully it will become apparent. And it has been the second episode of each season. Yes. What's that about? Yeah, I feel like someone's going to draw like a complex diagram with like lines interconnecting various words that like aims to explain all this. <laughs> I think it's going to be rewarded eventually. I think there will be some sort of payoff. I'm just not sure what yet. Yeah, because it's not just frog ladies' eggs. It's the spider eggs too. That was a really cool design of, of just, you know, these endless eggs and he just goes up and picks one and stuffs it in his mouth and then it is like oh god what's gonna happen now that did literally remind me of little children literally just eating anything because obviously (laughs) to anyone who's not a baby that looks absolutely horrifying and you'd run a mile if you saw that um but baby yoda is like la 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 oh yeah (laughs) it's like gotta eat it i love the music in those moments though yes no i felt like every time we saw baby yoda sort of come up against like the like frog lady's eggs there's this really beautiful like twinkly ethereal music and then it was Mm -hmm. similar music with the spider eggs and again i think that sort of confused me around the purpose of it you know and what we're meant to take away because it sort of frames it as something beautiful you know Mm -hmm. it's like a moment of connection between these young creatures you know these like infants 
you know, because Baby Yoda's an infant, the eggs are sort of like proto-infants, I guess. Um, but then obviously Baby Yoda just stuffs them in his mouth. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't know what to get from this now, but great music. Yeah, first time around, I thought he was about to do some Force stuff. Oh, wow, what a come down. <laughs> The music was so magical. I was like, oh, what's going to happen? And the lighting was really cool. Like when he's looking at the tank of eggs and it's all like red and purpley blue. And then in the cave as well. It's really beautiful. So I- I'm just interested to see where all that's going to go, if anywhere. And-, and if Baby Yoda will learn his lesson. Hopefully. I mean, he could just be keeping the eggs warm somehow and maybe he regurgitates them <laughs> later. <laughs> oh, no. Like, should I tell you what the like spider eggs reminded me of very strongly? Mm. They reminded me of the alien films, specifically yeah. Prometheus, because there's a scene in Prometheus where the scientists they find this like big dark cave and it's filled with eggs, exactly like the one in this episode. And as soon as I saw all those eggs, I was like, oh no, this isn't good. This is very very bad. And yeah, obviously that fear was vindicated. Yeah, it was a bit haunting, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I really wanted to mention one particular line from Frog Lady's speech to the Mando. Um, my favourite line in the entire episode, and one of the top lines from the whole show, is, I thought honouring one's word was part of the Mandalorian code. I guess those are just stories for children. Oh, mm. I loved that quote. It was so good. And I feel like that's also a quote that gets right to the heart of Star Wars as well. So it is very much about like these great mythic stories the kinds of stories that are told to children as bedtime stories and kind of demonstrating that there is something true and worthwhile in those stories you know obviously children's stories are often associated with being fictional and false in some way and Star Wars is kind of about appealing to the more naive aspect of the viewer's nature you know and trying to make you believe in things like hope and justice and goodness all over again and yeah it felt like quite a meta moment so I appreciated that yeah and it kind of it was an interesting commentary on how Mando was last episode versus this one and how it's not necessarily a contradiction it's more like it kind of makes the Mandalorian more relatable in a way because last episode he made this deal with Cobb Vanth and it wasn't what he wanted he just wanted the armor well he actually he wanted a mandalorian in the armor but <laughs> didn't find that um but then made this deal and kept his word he helped him take down the great dragon and protect the town right yeah um so he he kept his word then but this episode he had this feeling to him where he just seemed exhausted and tired and just like he just wanted to find the mandalorians now he was kind of sick of it yeah um so he was like okay I, I need to get there as quickly as possible. I have people on my tail. And of course, we saw him pursued as a result of that. Um, but yeah, he just had this really relatable fatigue to him, which I'm sure a lot of people were feeling this week. <laughs> so I felt like the Mandalorian was, um, he felt very real. Yeah. I feel like Frog Lady was completely justified in calling him out on that, but it kind of drew attention to it. That it's like, you've kept your word in other situations what makes you think that she doesn't deserve that respect? And of course she does, so. Exactly, and I appreciate that it was such a dignified, like eloquent speech as well. You know, because obviously it's kind of framed as a bit of a joke, you know, that her language is like. <laughs> so it's obviously completely unintelligible to people who don't speak that language. I loved hearing Pally speak it. Yes, it was so good. I love that <laughs> moment. Um, but yeah, like it was a nice contrast from that to realise that, yes, it sounds strange and odd to ears that do not understand that language, but she's every bit as intelligent and dignified and sentient as you, and she deserves like all the respect in the world, basically. You need to listen to this person, you need to help her achieve her goals. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, it was really nice because it was literally about giving that person a voice that she had not had previously. And obviously it was Richard Aoardi's voice and that is a great voice. So I was really pleased to hear from him again. Yeah, so I guess we got the two different references to that same episode. Yes. Um, the fact that we had the New Republic pilots and we had that same droid back. I wonder if they're just going to keep doing that. Yeah, it definitely makes me think there's quite high chances of seeing more characters repeat from season one. 
Yeah, and I hope you're right that next week we do see Frog Lady again and Mando manages to reunite her with her husband and the eggs are safe. And then because we know it's the husband who's seen the Mandalorians on whatever planet is they're going to, I can't remember the name, um, that he's able to point him on his way. So we do get some progression there too. Yeah, that'd be great to see. So yeah, thumbs up. (laughs) Keep Star Wars weird. (laughs) Definitely. Oh, and just quickly before we wrap it up, thoughts on the spiders. Ooh, they should have had a bit of a warning on it for arachnophobes, I thought. Yeah, it was really (laughs) horrifying. So I feel like most of the time, The Mandalorian is like a very safe family show. You know, I thought you could sit like an eight-year-old down to watch The Mandalorian and it's perfectly fine and appropriate and they'd love it. But this was just really intense. There were some proper like horror movie visuals in this episode. And yeah, if anyone's remotely sensitive about spiders, which many people are, be be very very cautious about going into this basically yeah it was a bit of a step up from like chamber of secrets level you know it was obviously a similar vibe but yeah more intense (laughs) yeah exactly oh god being like just the way they swarmed the razor crest it was like oh they're so disgusting i hate them so much (laughs) and i'm not even like arachnophobic to be honest but there's just something about that imagery of like the sheer quantity of them and like i don't normally like seeing things be killed you know any like life form but when he took the flamethrower to the door to like get them the fuck out so he could shut them up in the cockpit i was like oh thank god (laughs) It was such a Because well, at that point, once so many of them had got into the ship, I was like, how are they actually going to get away here? Yeah, exactly. And obviously I knew, logically speaking, that they would escape. You know, it's episode two of eight. <laughs> They're definitely not going to die in this episode. But it did a really great job of convincing you that the peril was very, very serious. Mm-hmm. So it was a really, really fun episode. And it was very eccentric and peculiar and that's some of my favorite Star Wars content, to be honest. Like you said, Kirsty keeps Star Wars weird. It's just great. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. And we don't need everything explained, to be honest. It can kind of just be left there. <laughs> exactly. I think a lot of Star Wars is just best when it's kind of like presented to you and it's like, you just got to take it for granted. This is what it is. You know, I feel like all the best Star Wars moments have something like that. You know, like the frog ladies in Last Jedi. Like, there's no in-film, like, agonising over who these strange creatures are or what their purpose is. Like, I know there are allusions to it, but ultimately they're just part of the fabric of the world, you know, and they're about establishing a certain atmosphere for that movie. And, yeah, I think it's great. And it's a long tradition of having weird little eccentric creatures in Star Wars and it was nice to see them be more of the focal point for a change you know because they are almost always side characters in Star Wars whereas Frog Lady in this episode was definitely a guest star which Mm -hmm. is all she deserved so much love (laughs) yeah there was just something about the episode overall that had this like dreamlike quality to it it was so strange and and even though we didn't see like Baby Yoda using the Force, it just had this, I don't know, magic to it. I loved it. Agreed. Highly recommended. And we hope that you all enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, I think that's probably it for this time, isn't it, Kirsty? Yeah, I mean, we'll see in future chapters if anything kind of comes back into play or, yeah, if next week it kind of follows on from it or if there's a bit of a jump. We'll see. Exactly. Yeah. It's always fun to thread together the different connections. Yeah, I mean, we obviously didn't get Boba Fett this episode, so presumably they'll come back to that before too long. And I, actually, I think that's one of the real strengths of the episode. So I think one of the things we said after the last episode was, oh man, they better follow that up quickly. They can't end like that and then not immediately follow up. But I was not watching this episode thinking, oh, where's Boba Fett? Where's Boba Fett? It didn't even cross my mind. I wasn't, but I did wonder because they opened on Tatooine. I wondered if some fans would have been hoping to see him at that point. Yeah. And that might go towards explaining some of the disappointment I've seen. I've seen a lot of positive reactions this episode, but I've also seen people dismiss it as filler, essentially. I just want the world to retire that term forever. Yeah, it's kind of like um, the word pretentious for me. I feel like the word pretentious has almost lost all meaning because it's so arbitrarily used. Because... Yeah, I think filler is almost being used as a synonym for episodic and 
fundamentally the Mandalorian is an episodic TV show. So most of the time the episodes are going to feel very standalone and detached from each other. But that doesn't mean it's filler or bad or anything. So let's wrap it up. So I'm Rachel and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye! Bye!